Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion, that USDA program. It's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Hello and welcome to Politico's 2016 Nerdcast, where we bring you the stories behind the stories and geek out on this amazing circus of an election. It's Wednesday, November the 9th, and Donald Trump is the president-elect. Welcome to our special post-result show. I'm Kristen Roberts, national editor, and with me, politics editor Charlie Matessian. Hi, Kristen. I never thought I'd be talking to you at 3.55 (laughs) a.m. And campaign pro editor Scott Bland. Hi, Kristen. Great to be here. Oh, yes. We are chipper, aren't we? Well, this was a stunner of an election. We talked... Only a day and a half or two days ago about the three paths that Donald Trump had, and he chose the third one, which was surprising everyone with an enormous sweep. I want to jump right into some of the data because it's astounding. Charlie, tell us about what happened in places like the Philly suburbs. Yeah, where do you start with some, with an election like this? It is uh, one for the ages. I th- I think it's bigger than the Dewey Truman uh, or the, the Truman upset. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't even think of a comparable upset like this um, where we were all so wrong in so many ways. And, you know, the interesting thing is we talked a lot about this uh, and Kristen and I have been, you know, talking about Trump's prospects for a long time and how uh, we took him, we feel like, and I don't want to speak for you, Kristen, but I feel like you and I talk a lot about Trump. And all along, we've taken him very seriously. But even so, I would have to say I was wrong on everything, on my expectations. I took him, I think, more seriously than many people, yet I never could have guessed he could have won this way. I never would have guessed in a million years he would have, the map would look like this, that he could win uh, various groups the way he did, that uh, he his his win would be so broad. I mean, everything we thought turned out to be wrong. The polls were way a off disaster. the mark. A disaster. Those polls were a disaster. And it wasn't just the public polling. The Republican Party polling was completely inaccurate. Yeah. It, so, it's, okay, so it's the polling. We were wrong about the ground game. Guy literally had no ground game at all. Turned out not to matter. So imagine what his, imagine what his results would have been with a ground game. So uh, we were wrong about that. We were wrong about him getting in the race. Nobody believes he'd get in the race. We were wrong about him in the primaries. Nobody believes he could beat that field. We were wrong about everything. And uh, where do you go from there? I think it's an incredible, I mean, we're getting really broad right now. We should get to the data. But I think it's an incredible uh, moment where the American people are, te- are, it's a repudiation of not just the Republican Party and the Democratic Party and the establishment. It's a repudiation of the media. It's a repudiation of the pollsters. It is the American people saying, we are done with you. We are completely done. You don't listen to us. And what you write and what you say do not reflect how we feel. It's the biggest bird flipping in human history. It is as if the entire nation turned to Washington, D.C. and gave it their middle finger. Data. Okay, so that data point, Philadelphia. 
So we've talked a lot about Philadelphia, obviously, uh, as uh, my hometown. And so I've watched it really closely tonight. I wrote about it in the uh, run-up to the election about the importance of the Philadelphia suburbs relative to uh, the performance of the city and then the rest of the state. And so in 2012, Barack Obama took a 492,000 vote margin out of Philadelphia. Now, that was an important number because the rest of the election was a chase to catch up to that. Republicans were not able to do that. The question this year was going to be, how big would Hillary Clinton's margin be out of Philadelphia? How would Trump do in the suburbs to uh, dilute that? And would there be enough votes in the rest of the state to overcome that? So it turns out that the rest of the state Trump did very well, especially in the West, uh, but he also ran well in the Northeast. All of that, you could see that was in the water. But what was really interesting is Hillary Clinton didn't do that bad in the suburbs. She uh, overperformed in some places, underperformed in a couple of others. But I think one of the keys to Trump's victory in, in Pennsylvania will be he has, as of this count, and not every precinct in Philadelphia is in, there's probably still about 20 out there, but... He had, or I'm sorry, Hillary Clinton had a margin of 455,000 out of the city. So right there, uh, you know, I'm, I don't even want to try the math, but we're still talking about somewhere in the neighborhood of a 40,000 vote difference. Uh, in the end, maybe it's 30,000. Pretty close know, to the margin at this yeah. point in in uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, and so all of a sudden you've got a scenario where he cuts the margin coming out of Philadelphia. He's passable in the suburbs, even though in Delaware County, I was. here's another thing where I was completely wrong. My home county, I, I thought it would be much closer. It turns out it wasn't that close at all. Uh, and Hillary Clinton even won Chester County, which Mitt Romney won. So, But by running really well outside of the suburbs and the city, and then by having a smaller than, than usual margin in Philadelphia, he was able to pull off Pennsylvania. I'm really curious to to dig into this, and it's going to take a while for the voter files to update and things like that, so we can see just who voted and the extent to which you know Trump potentially brought new voters uh, into the picture or or people who hadn't voted in a while. But also, I think like ultimately that that question of the the lower margin in Philadelphia uh, kind of speaks to there are there are a lot of people out there. Uh, it, it sounds like who voted for Barack Obama in 2012, maybe voted for him in 2008, who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 at potentially the height of Obama's popularity now since he's been in office. And, you know, it like Charlie was saying, it, it confounds it's what we think actually. about yeah. what we thought we knew about politics. Let's look at another number. 65%. That's the share of the Latino vote that Clinton won. Obama won 71% in 2012. What happened there, Scott? Yeah, so this is the uh, the national election pool exit poll numbers that that we're talking about and um, you know, it's going to take it's going to take a little while uh, to puzzle out. I think I think part of it is possibly that uh, that you know, for for everything that happened during the campaign, maybe the enthusiasm just wasn't there in the end for Hillary Clinton who as we've talked about again and again, was more viewed more unfavorably than favorably. And, and you know, if not for Trump, would have been the first uh, uh, presidential candidate to, to have you know, finished off an election that way. Mitt Romney was that way for a lot of 2012, but he kind of pulled his numbers back up. I think one thing that's worth pointing out is that, um, you know, there are some criticisms out there of the exit poll of whether or not they measure Latino support properly. And so, you know, the the 
polling firm Latino Decisions has done a big, large sample poll that found actually they, they according to their numbers, uh, Hillary Clinton did better than Obama by about five percentage points and got 80 percent of the Latino vote. But then you get into this question. I mean, which would you rather have be the answer if you're a, a Democrat or a Latino or a Latino Democrat? Uh, would you rather have, you know, would you rather have thrown even more of your support as a growing part of the electorate to the party, to the Democratic Party, and have lost, or would you rather have have watched Donald Trump run at times a campaign against your ethnic group, and then seen your your voters not not support his opponent at the same levels that they had the previous Democratic presidential nominee. I mean, either way, there's there's some really tough uh, thinking here to do for, for, for Democrats, but uh, it, it's it's remarkable. You know, it's an interesting thing, the Latino vote. It, it is the same. Hillary Clinton had a similar problem with the African-American vote. It is not that it was bad. It was shy. It was shy of what Obama did, and she needed it to be much better than shy. She really needed it to be at least equal um, or higher. Because she didn't do as well among white voters. Because she was never going to do as well among white voters. But, Charlie, one of the most interesting data points that I um, have heard over the course of the last few hours is something I want you to discuss, and that is the share of the female vote that Hillary Clinton got. I'll give you the numbers. 55 to 44 in 2012 was the DR split on women. This year, 54-42. What's your take? Well, this is uh, one of the more fascinating uh, aspects of this story. We have been for a very long time talking about Donald Trump's problem with women voters. We have gone through Access Hollywood. We have seen a parade of accusers accusing the Republican nominee of sexual assault. We have seen him say all sorts of things that you would never hear a national politician say. And so the expectation was that he would get crushed among women. And it turns out his percentage was not really that different than Mitt Romney's, who was about as respectful a person as you can have mm-hmm. at the top of the ticket. And so ultimately, while a lot of this was about uh, white males, and uh, particularly if you slice the groups down, white males uh, without college degrees, there was still a cohort out there of women that were okay with the kinds of things he said and were able to brush it off and just say, well, we always knew he wasn't a saint. That's how guys talk in private. Those were all the lines that we've heard. Well, it turns out, you know, there are lots of folks that think that way, and he was not punished that much uh, among women. I really wish I could remember whose line I'm stealing right now, but it's it's four in the morning and I can't. But the, there, someone said uh, a few weeks ago that, you know, ultimately that Trump supporters uh, take him seriously, but not literally. And I think that that gets to, you know, that, that a lot of the stuff he said that was that was seen as offensive was not, you know, was was brushed off by by the people who uh, decided to vote for him, whether they thought he wasn't. Uh, being literal about it or whether they thought in uh, ways that were important to them that Hillary Clinton was a worse option, uh, whatever the case may be, those things did not have the effect. Um, and it's especially you know, interesting just thinking back to, to what was covered as gaffes by Mitt Romney in, in 2012 or politicians before that, and then to kind of side by side those with some of the stuff that, that 
came up with Trump, like the Access Hollywood tape, among many other things over the last year and a half. And, um, you know, it just it, it kind of sloughed off. I think we always knew that Hillary Clinton was really a very unpopular person perhaps the most unpopular woman in America. Um, and even though we knew that, I think we perhaps underestimated the extent of the hatred toward her. It's not dislike. There is a very powerful feeling against Hillary Clinton. So in part, this was, um, I think, and we'll have to study this for a very long time, um, I think this was in part a reaction to Donald Trump. He did definitely, um, as we've seen tonight, generate a kind of enthusiasm that was unexpected. But we should not discount how much of this was um, a vote in opposition to Hillary Clinton. I think, you know, it, the I think part of the reason is because Trump's unfavorability numbers were always higher that no matter how high Clinton's were, Trump's were always higher. Uh, but one of the things we noticed while covering the Senate results tonight was that, you know, in that middle of the electorate were made up of voters who disliked both candidates. Uh, Republican Senate candidates did very well among that group. And that's and, and it, it sounds I mean, the only way you can get to the wins that Trump racked up in state after state is if he was winning the the voters who viewed both of them unfavorably. Well, the interesting thing to me, at least when when I look at these numbers, is that the, there is a ton of enthusiasm, obviously, for Trump among his supporters, but they don't really think that highly of him. So I think that that underscores Kristen's point. Uh, when you look at how they comment on his attributes, when I say they, I'm talking about the polls, they don't think that highly of him, even his supporters. They think that he shades the truth. They don't think he's that honest. Uh, they, they're not convinced he's competent. They're convinced he doesn't have the credentials to do it, that he's not as experienced as Hillary. And yet still, they voted for him. And to me, that's a reflection, number one, of Kristen's point, which is uh, we did not understand the depth of the resentment toward uh, Hillary Clinton and the uh, dislike for Hillary Clinton. But also, I think we did not gauge the hunger out there for authenticity and for somebody who would speak honestly to people. They were willing to tolerate someone who uh, lied to them. And, and when I say lie, I mean, it's a really strong word, but we all know this to be true about Donald Trump, that uh, I, I think it's inarguable at this point that unlike any nominee we've ever had in the past, and all politicians stretch the truth to a certain degree, and that's tolerated within the framework of the game. But we've never had anyone in the same universe as Donald Trump when it comes to not telling the truth, exaggerating, uh, stretching the truth, telling distortions, uh, telling distortions. I mean, all of it. There's nothing like that. And it all points back in, in one direction, which is that had Hillary Clinton been a little bit more popular, had maybe she not been so secretive, and had she maybe been a little bit more open about showing us who she was. Had she maybe, been a man. I mean, that you got to think that that's part of it, too. I mean, uh how will we ever gauge that? I don't know, but you can't deny it. I mean, I think anytime you're looking at a history-making enterprise like this, there's always an element of that. Barack Obama faced it. Clearly, Hillary Clinton did. But even so, I mean, I think there's something more to it that made it so deep because it's not like this was that close in a lot of places. Do we think that the, the polls were wrong the entire time or that there well, was you know, that's fast a really movement interesting question. at the end? Well, the polls were not wrong during the primary. People just decided not to believe them. I mean, this was a fascinating primary. And if you really believe the polls, you're like, of course he's going to win. Look at it. There it is. And he did. 
And so I think it renewed um, some of the sense that the pollsters had you know, figured it out. They'd gotten a couple cycles wrong. They had tripped up a little bit. They'd gotten it wrong overseas a bit. But this time they, they'd straightened it out because, look, they, they called it right in the primary. Boy, were we wrong about that. And they were wrong, too. This is a big problem for the polling industry. I mean, fascinating election, both just to study Donald Trump and see what a movement he has created and try to understand where the American people are now. But the postmortem for the polling industry, woo! Because, yeah. I mean, as we mentioned at the top of the show, right, our Ken Vogel just wrote a story tonight about how the Republican National Committee's own internal predictive modeling showed Trump losing. And, you know, they, they had some questions. He was closing in the final days of the race as there were all these new questions about the FBI. And, but they, you know, on the eve of the election, they had him down. Uh, when you think of the, the next week, there's going to be a long list of people who are going to get reamed out for their performance during this election season. The pollsters, obviously. Uh, let me add a couple more. Do you know that in Florida, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, Gary Johnson's vote share if would have elected Hillary Clinton? I know. Uh, and, and let me be, I, I want to make clear, I'm not saying that he didn't have a right to run or he, it was his fault because a lot of those voters... Uh, would not have voted for mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton. But it's worth thinking about who these folks were, why they voted for Gary Johnson when they knew he could not win, what that says about Hillary Clinton. Um, it'll be a point of discussion over the next week. But then the other thing is, speaking of people, blameworthy people, the media. I mean, we this is a time of reckoning for us God, too. We're dreadful. in our coverage. Yeah, we do suck. I mean, I think like I think that's pretty clear. And here's the most <laughs> the, the clearest uh, example of that is if you were to go around newsrooms around uh, this city and in New York and talk to political reporters, I bet you most of them would have said in the run up to the election this week that uh, the storyline on election day was going to be that. Uh, Donald Trump had awakened the sleeping giant. The storyline was going to be powered by a surge of Latino voter turnout. Uh, Hillary Clinton won, you know, over 300 electoral votes. And uh, in the end, that couldn't have been more off. I mean, clearly there were lots of signs of uh, increased Latino uh, turnout in lots of states, but it really didn't make that much of a difference. We thought it was supposed to, you know, herald this new era where uh, Latino voting power would uh, append Republican establishments in Arizona and Texas and Georgia and on all these different places. But it turned out not to be true. And I think we got sucked into the hype as, uh, as, as journalists, maybe because we didn't know how to gauge that or didn't pay close enough attention in early voting or weren't paying enough attention down at the ground level, didn't have our ears to the ground. But the coverage was very flawed in a lot of ways. Who wrote? I mean, there was not a ton of coverage about like who these people are, these Trump voters. I mean, we kind of do. And there's always that. Uh, there, there, were, there were some stories about the Trump coalition, who those folks were, but nobody knew it was this deep or this broad. Well, because part of that journalism starts with the numbers, right? It starts with the polling. It starts with how people are answering. Um, that's, that's the basis of what political journalism is. And then the task is to go out and find the color and the real human beings. And there was some, the, the numbers were first, were first flawed, and then, you know, we didn't have 
anywhere, not just us at Politico, but anywhere, there were not reporters on the ground, district by district, in the House districts, for example, finding these bits of data that we might have pieced together to say, whoa, 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 there's something here that's not actually showing up in the numbers. You know, you know who else missed, missed these bits of data if they were out there, though? All, all the local Republican House campaigns that, that were just as surprised as anyone else. I mean, we're kind of going back and piecing through. House Republicans were panicked a month ago today, panicked about the, the prospect of widespread losses. They were pouring money into into new districts to, to try and save those incumbents from Trump. And as it turned out, Trump lifted a lot of them on Election Day with his performance. And think about what we saw in the, the Insiders Caucus that we publish every week. I mean, we see that raw copy where the, the caucus is this uh, enterprise we have here at Politico where every week we interview these Republican insiders, uh, several hundred of them from across the country. Country, their operatives, their uh, party chairs, their elected officials, people like that. And so we get all of their anonymous, honest answers. And all of them regularly uh, dissed the Trump campaign, said how disorganized it was, that it was a disgrace. Half of them hate Clinton, or mm-hmm. I'm sorry, half of them hate Donald Trump. The half that uh, like him had no respect for his campaign infrastructure. And many, most of them, uh, or at least many of them, thought he was going to lose. They were convinced he was going to lose their state. Uh, they started to peak, peak a little near the end, but still, uh, many of them thought he was going to lose. So it's almost across the board that... So few people saw it coming. I think that's it for us. It's um, very, it's the morning and I need to go home and make lunches and, you know, get the family out the door. I will see you all in a few hours. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Kristen. Thank Thank you, listeners. Thank you to our executive producer, Bridget Mulcahy, for staying here all night waiting for us to be able to talk into these microphones. Thanks so much, Bridget. And of course, thank you to our listeners. We will be back in a day and a half for a regular full-length Nerdcast. And hopefully we will um, have some deeper analysis uh, based on a day and a half worth of reading and studying. See you then.